Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... We are all at home, but we're not alone. We can turn to books and to one another for company. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop in order to support independent bookstores while supporting your favorite bookmakers and kidlit podcasters. Same books, same great prices, but this time your dollars make a difference for someone or some indie trying to make a difference. Go to MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop to choose your next great read, and then watch for it to appear on your doorstep. Happy reading, everyone. Hi there, this is Mahogany. Hi, Mahogany. It's Matthew. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I hear it. Rough rough times. Rough times. It is. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You are in the world. When our guest said that during our interview, I wrote it down, stuck it to my bookshelf, and I've been looking at it ever since. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 586. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Mahogany L. Brown, author of Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice, written with Elizabeth Acevedo and Olivia Gatewood. This evocative picture book companion to Woke Baby is an emotional powerhouse, laying groundwork for conversations about advocacy, anti-bias practices, intersectionality, disability acceptance, youth empowerment, and more. This book was constructed to hold a volume of voices, meaning that these poems can and should be read by more than one voice at once. That was a new thought for me, choral poetry. And then I realized what might be already obvious to you, which is that when we combine our voices in unity, we shine a brighter light on the dark places. We make more room for everyone at the table. We, to borrow a phrase from a friend, bring the distant near. Please welcome my guest, Mahogany L. Brown, author of Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice. Hello, my name is Mahogany L. Brown. I go by she, her, hers, and I am a poet, author, and the author, no. My name is Mahogany L. Brown. I go by she, her, and her, and I am a poet and author of Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice. Yay, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the show, Mahogany. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You wrote this beautiful book called Woke Baby. 
that I, I did. love. And now we have a companion <laughs> book that is uh, a long form picture book for a little bit older readers. And mm-hmm. as we were sort of saying off recording, just before quarantine, my group of fourth grade podcasters, we were reading through all of these upcoming picture books. And from the cover alone on this book, my mm-hmm. five students were lit up and we mm-hmm. had to do everything we could to fairly judge the other books after reading Woke. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because we are in a time of wonderful books coming out for children. But this one mm-hmm. in particular felt like it was on their hearts and their minds and, and on their tongues already to be bringing up these conversations. Mm. So we, we, my students and I, are so grateful for you bringing Woke, a young poet's call to justice into the world for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. It was it was definitely one of those projects I was uh, so excited to do. Woke Baby uh, was the first. And so we look at Woke as the, the older sibling. Um, but I knew that I couldn't do it alone. So I'm really grateful for the voices um, that I was able to reach out to. Elizabeth Acevedo and Olivia Gatwood with a wonderful forward by Jason Reynolds. And again, we are matched with the amazing illustrations of Theodore Taylor III, who also did Woke Baby. So it's all in good company and it feels really good. It feels really good to see it uh, in the world and and welcome. So Theodore's art in this book, there is (laughs) what was reading this with a fourth grade teacher colleague. And mm-hmm. he, to to witness his reactions to the art as we were going, mm. for us to just have that every page, Mahogany, I know you know this because it's your book, but you can flip the book to random pages and just mm-hmm. sit with those illustrations and those mm. words. It is a potent and powerful book you have here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I definitely fall in love with it every time I open a page. I'm always surprised, even still, after, you know, having sat with the galleys, after uh, looking at just the sketches and asking for certain things to be refined. Even now I open it and I'm, I find something new to fall in love with. So um, I am I am just as amazed as you. Oh, that's so cool that you have that experience as well. Did you always have this book in mind as you were making Woke Baby? Um, I don't know if I had this book in mind. I was really interested in having those really hard discussions uh, that impact our young people um, with language that was um, accessible and tangible for them, you know? Uh, So how do you talk about uh, what it means to be an ally? How do you talk about you know, the things that require um, us to be productive global citizens and, you know, individuality is uplifted because we, we love to talk about being unique. Um, one of the classes that I read, uh, I read at for the, uh, the book launch in Brooklyn, the first thing I asked was, um, how many of you have been called weird before? And everybody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. And then I went right into reading uh, the piece about um teeth dance with silver and at the end of it someone one of the kids yelled out weird is awesome and I was like absolutely you are good as you are so just those small moments that we kind of forget as adults we think oh you just tell them they're fine just tell them they'll be okay you got to remember like 
we were in their shoes at one point and we needed more than just the okay. We needed, you know, a little more uh, language for our toolbox. Um, and I think that this, um, this piece of work is, is, is adding to the tool shed. So as they go on, they're, they're able to articulate in words and under, you know, uh, uh, in words that they have access to, this larger understanding, which they have been grappling with, they come to terms with, they don't really know the language yet, but they know the feeling, you know, they know what is right, they know what is just. And I just wanna I just wanna be able to, you know, empower them with that language. They do. And it strikes me that the way you talk about these children makes me feel like you must know a whole lot of kids in that like third, fourth, fifth grade range, do you do you in your current work work with children a lot? Uh, I used to work at about whew, goodness, maybe it was about ten schools a week for thirteen years Whoa. as a teaching artist. Yeah, as a teaching artist, um, a traveling poet. That was you know my lifeblood going into schools. Um, as a supplemental artist, you know, ha- assisting the English programming during March and April, National Poetry Month. So I'm I'm constantly engaged with the the younger market, and this was the first time that I was able to write something for them because I'm usually writing um, with with the intention of talking to middle school, high school, and college, um, and then just of course dialing back some of the the ideas so that it's you know it's it we're able to talk about it. Um, and and going in there and showing young people that, you know, a poet looks like all of us. It, it can look like any of us. There isn't one way to be. There isn't one way to enter the room. Um, there isn't one voice that is valid. Um, that, that has been uh, really a part of my platform. Uh, women empowerment, youth empowerment, and, you know, what does it mean to have an equitable voice in, in a community of literary arts where our voices have uh, specifically as a Black woman been... Um, shunned or, you know, not as highlighted. Um, what what does it mean to come in and teach young people that you you should remember my name because I will I will remember yours. Well, I I love that. I can see that those children at all of those different schools you visited just walked along with you on your way to what eventually would be making this book and. I appreciate so much the voice that you use with these children to engage them in each of these topics. Doing a lot of anti-bias, anti-racist work in our school, Mm. having Mm. this book so accessible, if I can just talk about the design of it a moment, um, on each of the, each poem takes up a spread, but on the Mm -hmm. bottom uh, of each page where it has the page number, You've given a topic to each poem where we talk about allyship and community and forgiveness and equality and gender and prejudice and individuality. And in that way, you're giving, and I know you're aware of this, but how powerful it is for those children to have the language for what these things are they're discussing. That this thing you're talking about right now, that is called being an ally and what it looks Mm. like in this poem and the way it looks in what you're trying out in your life right now are mirrored are the same. You give Mm -hmm. a mirror to children in this book in such a way that I just haven't seen 
in stories before Mahogany, and it's mm. it's beautiful. I mean, it's really. I I I want to ask you about how you landed on each of these different topics, and then I'd love to mm-hmm. ask if you don't mind for you to read one of these poems to us because hearing it in your voice, I know will be a very special treat. Okay, cool. I'd love to read. Um, the question was, how did I find these topics? Well, I, I think about social uh, activism and social justice. And I think of the themes that, you know, the, uh, all of the different campaigns where, whether it's um, human rights, um, environmentalism, um, Black Lives Matter, uh, civil rights measures, like all of these policies, um, what are the themes that they're getting to? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are the arching, the overarching, what's the overarching umbrella that are, that is uniting uh, the, these activists to engage with our communities in the, way that, in the ways in which we, we must, right? Like, yeah. If I'm talking about mass incarceration issues and prison ab- uh, abolitionist uh, work, and if I'm talking about uh, poverty and I'm talking about homelessness, those all of those things come from one of these themes um, overall. Like they are fighting for one of these things to just be um, remembered and um, upheld. Um, so, what does it mean to be a freedom fighter? What does it mean to think about gender and immigration, intersectionality as feminism and womanism, justice and prejudice, privilege and protest, resistance, resourcefulness, silencing, stereotyping, volunteering, and of course, what does it mean to be woke? So I think of all of those things as a a moment that I can break down into just a poem. And, And that's how we found the themes uh, that's how we like relied on them. Some of them I had to like tweak a little more because they were still just too big. Yeah. You know, they were just too big to grapple with. So I had to, you know, it's it's like a math problem. You look at the formula and if you have several different things that need to happen in that formula, you start with, you know, what's in the parentheses or, you know, like if I remember math correctly, it's been a long time, yeah. but... I you, love- you have to you have to break it down bit by bit so that you can get to the end, right? You have to for us to figure out the answer to the formula, we have to break it down part by part so that it's not so large that we can't carry it. Yeah. No, thinking about writing poetry and communicating as as math, as as simplifying those those equations is is fascinating mm-hmm. to me. I would love for you to read the entire book, but why don't I just ask for one poem for now? <laughs> one poem. Do you have a poem that you like? Uh, I have all the poems that I like. Okay. I, all right. I, what, about in, what about the intersectionality poem? Intersectionality. Okay, so that's a group piece. That was really interesting to do. Um, I have two group pieces in here, one with me and Olivia and one with me and Liz, and it was... Interesting. It was so interesting. So here we are talking about intersection, right? Intersectionality, actually, which was a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw um, when speaking about uh, black feminism, black women in feminism, uh, womanism. What does it mean to have all of these different ways in which you enter a room um, and only one of the ways in which you're presented is considered? So intersectionality was 
um, the the overarching theme. And when you when you look at it as an adult, obviously it's far more you know nuanced. But when explaining it to a young person, it it begins to allow them um, an understanding of. Uh, how we are benefiting, you know, how we walk in the room and we're benefiting from presentation, um, how we are benefiting from, you know, economic status of our families, um, where we're growing up, things like that. So those those can, you know, you're breaking down, again, this really large idea for a very specific moment um, in academia, but letting um, our young people in on the in on that gesturing just so they can have an idea by the time they get to a place where they can take in that large formula, they have, you know, a compass. So yeah. this is what is an intersection. An intersection is a place where things come together, like four cars waiting to go different directions at a stoplight. People intersect too, not just while moving down the street, but in who we are. Inside our bodies is a stoplight where our identities come together to make us a house of flamethrowers, to make us a river of living things. We all have multiple identities. You might be in a room full of girls, but no two are exactly alike. Classmate with nose ring and printed headband, soccer player with flowing scarf and full smile, student in library with brown skin and headphones, skateboarder with hat to the back and book in hand, swimmer with painted nails and crew cut, Dancer who says only call me by my name. That's intersectionality. We all have different experiences of the world and we all have experiences we share. Intersectionality means paths crossing one another with respect. Intersectionality means moving with intentionality and acknowledgement of your surroundings. Intersectionality means we are all happening we are all supporting each other. We are an ecosystem living and growing, depending on each other for survival, evolving and becoming whole. Thank you. I love that Thank phrase. You. Intersectionality means we are all happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> you are just being you are being in your space and i am yeah. being in my space and that is intersectionality just us being who we are who we were made to be yeah thank you I love thank that. you so much i love your understanding of these poems we should go on tour when this course <laughs> is over we as long as i could bring a handful of fourth graders that would be Dinah. amazing <laughs> yes we, you know one of the things we um there were two things before I ask you the next question. I want to ask you about working with Liz and Olivia, but it, it strikes me with my students that I want to bring up these two things. And that is, um, the children's book podcast is sponsored by Libro FM audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro FM 
that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. One of my students, I won't mention students by name, I have to be very sensitive about that. One of my fourth graders, she said, wait, this is a poem too? When I, we were reading through the book, wait, and this is a poem? And it strikes me that as you were saying, it, it means something to show children, this is what a poet looks like, that I am a poet, that, you know, poets mm-hmm. come in different uh, come from different backgrounds, come from different ages, different skin mm. tones, different, all of these experiences, but also voices in poems and the way poems take form mm. are different. Yeah. That. Agreed. That to, to have affirmed that the way you and others have written these poems and broken your lines is something that we should take note of the way these are, um, the stanzas are captured. The, is something we should take note of and think about why and how we read aloud and perform this poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that there's there's very few, if any, poems in this book that rhyme, and it strikes me that at that sweet age that I'm working with these students, this is a great time to open up about all the things poetry can be, and just to find poem in the words that they've been reading picture books their whole life there is poetry in the language of what they've been reading already they just didn't realize mm. that it that 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 form could also be called a poem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's so so true because what happens is um we're teaching um, our young people that there's only one way that a poem can exist, right? And that's with the hard rhyme slant. But what about the internal rhyme slant? You know, what about poems that don't rhyme at all, but they do all of the figurative language with alliteration? And and uh, uh, what about poems that are, you know, simply just a pure metaphor? Um, you, you have to just make sure that we start early um, with them understanding that poetry exists um, wherever they wherever they are, yeah. um, and what that ends up doing, I believe, is um, reminding um, our young people that their stories, not just their voice, but their stories, are also valid. Right here, we have it where we believe um, that okay, there's only one story that we should be reading, and there's only one story that gets to go to the movies, and of course, that becomes quite boring because you think that. You know, Hollywood thinks that this is the only thing that we're going to uplift. And then, you know, the audience thinks that, well, this is the only thing that's going to be in the the theater. So obviously, if I'm not if I don't want to watch that, something's wrong with me. But what does it mean to make our young people uh, know now that we are the creators of, you know, what is next? And you get to demand um, that stories sound like where you're from. Or, or, or become a whole new world, right? We can have, a spe- once we have the spectrum, our ability to learn, our compassion grows, our, um, our ability to be community members, you know, it heightens because we have an abundance of, 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 of love to give. We have an abundance of friendship. There's no fear when you know that there is more, right? When we know that everyone exists here and everyone is safe and like 
we're all here and we're good and we are neighbors and no one's taking from you by being here and no one wants to harm you. Like remove the fear from the unknown and we can get so much further. And I mean, poetry, it feels like a large thing to say, but I really believe, I really believe like poetry is, you know, it's the first, what is it? They say the final frontier. We're the first, we're the, we're in the (laughs) trenches. That is, that is our language. That is our language. If you think about art and how it's preserved, think about the poems that are remembered and how poems tell you about a history that is often erased or ignored. Yeah. And I, and poems being, especially some of them for their sing-song nature, being some of the very first things we ever mm-hmm. learn and memorize. We are, we are built and centered around poetry. You know, that same student that says, like, this is a poem too, that same girl, she also says all the time, and I miss her saying this to me every week in library. She says, but Mr. Winner, where are the books with biracial characters? And this is a kid who is who feels upset and disenfranchised that she feels as though Mm. she needs to write those books instead of publishers Mm. just bringing those books to her. And it's Mm. amazing as a librarian to be on that forefront of let's do this audit of our library. Let's find what's there. Let's look, let's find these books. Let's change what our collection looks like. But to have a kid of what, nine, 10 years old saying, demanding, I want to be seen in books, where are they? Is so powerful. Mm. That to me feels mm. different than when I was a kid. I didn't feel like I. Well, I also don't come from the same experiences as, as this child. Um, where I grew up, and she hears this all the time from me. Man, I grew up seeing myself in books constantly. I couldn't get away mm. from seeing myself in books. <laughs> I have never had that. Like, oh boy, I wish I could find a book with a white boy in it. Where could that possibly be? Um, and to hear her fight this way is just like yeah i'm just grateful i'm grateful could you imagine yeah could you imagine to just not see yourself except in your home and to feel as you were saying about movies does that Mm. mean that my experience is less valid or that i Mm. am less valuable Mm. i cannot imagine you know we the second thing i was going to say earlier um about the observations of these children uh, of children in these books is that as we were looking closely through Theodore's illustrations, especially in the beginning, a number of times kids said, wait, I know that video from online. Wait, I know that kid. You have the, mm. the boy doing the flip on the wheelchair in the mm-hmm. um, skate park. You have in the mm-hmm. very beginning poem, activists everywhere. Um, the There's an image on one of the tabs of, of a white police officer holding a, a black person down. You have people doing protests you have all these different moments where the kids are like i know that i've seen that video mm. i thought mm. that that is power right there that there's symbolism that mm-hmm. theodore is using here and mm-hmm. that they are seeing and making connections to well to call it this way to say i see i see these things in my world yeah yeah i see i see you are in the world yep how about that like Not just I see these things in my world, but you are in the world. How absolutely remarkable just just like to see something uh, uh, validate you being in the world. There's so much that says children should be quiet and adults are the boss and uh, and 
there's so many times that we're silencing young people so that when you when you have that moment where you you see yourself you're like oh I am here <laughs> oh I do like I know I matter I mean I have to go to school to learn about things I have to you know check in they like you have all these rules that are applied to you but there there's a lot of times where you, you often feel um ignored or isolated or alienated or disregarded or you know just not remembered and to know that you are in the world uh, not just that we see you not just that you belong but you are here um that is one of the most powerful powerful affirmations i mean you should say it to yourself every day yeah you that that you, you are in the world yes that is a powerful affirmation you are not yes. kidding no, oh. <laughs> I love that. That's, I... that's what I want. That's what I want to go back to the classroom. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> love. I did my homework early. <laughs> hey, Mahogany, can I read you a poem? I'd love it. I would be honored if I could read you blown out stars whisper about justice. Oh, yay. Okay. Mm, okay. So yes. this is, this is by you. <laughs> um, and then next I want to ask you about, writing with Olivia and Liz. Let me read this Mm -hmm. one first, though it goes. What if the crowd were a forest? How would you keep it from catching on fire? Tonight, Mm. the horizon is lit up like the brightest bulb. The town sits beneath the blown-out stars. The town vibrates with a nameless sound. But the wind remembers their names, and someone somewhere whispers, Injustice. Right then, the flames grow legs and arms and hands with a booming heartbeat. Now remember the forest? Can you see the crowd? The young wildling, the necessary weeds, the patch of wildflowers scattered, the manicured brush of lush and wilting leaves growing, growing, growing. What if the sky rained? What if all the forest of people needed was water? What if all the breathing bodies required to live and thrive and graze and grow in harmony was justice? (laughs) You speak to how we, we have it. We have what we need. Mm. We have, Mm. we are holding the tools. Mm. Sometimes we don't even see that our hands are holding these tools. I feel that's right. That's right. That was beautiful. Thank you for reading that. Those were your Can you words. send me a recording of that? They just... <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll send you this podcast. <laughs> hey, perfect. <laughs> what do you know? Um, so tell me, um, in in approaching this work, um, if your mind was, was from the outset to have other poets write with you, or if that was something that came later in the process when Liz and Olivia stepped in. No, I knew exactly who I wanted to work with. Um, I already had, you know, my my dreams set. And I knew I wanted the poems um, to have a a, a volume of voices. Um, I do, I did a lot of slam team group work for, you know, uh, about 14 years. Um, And so I, I wanted to create poems that can be read by two people at once or, you know, things like that, that can happen easily in classroom settings as well. So I was, uh, you know, that the first thing I asked, uh, I've known Liz for a very long time. She was a young poet coming up in New York City. 
Um, she was, uh, where did she go? Urban Ward NYC. She was a, a poet there. And I was also a teaching artist there. And uh, she had a fire in her then uh, that was just, you know, um, and, and inspiring and to see uh, the work that she has uh, continued. Um, I was so excited to, you know, ask her to, to partner with me on this. And she was so gracious and obliged. Um, and this is before, like, you know, everything was like the national, like she had already finished the book. Um, but this is before all of those prizes became, you know, all of the at shiny stickers on the cover. <laughs> oh my God. So I was like, I'm, I'm so grateful that she could find time, you know, after the fact, because then it just was like, she was going and, um, Olivia also someone who, uh, she had just finished a really big book project, um, for her first collection of poems and, I had witnessed her come up as a youth poet. So I'm working with young people or younger people because they're, they're obviously adults now, but I remember seeing their youth selves and being like, wow, they are <laughs> incredible. Like they are moving me as, you know, you know, the, the, the older poet. Um, and sure, I, I was just what, 25, 26, 27 when they were, you know, in these youth slams, these youth poetry slams, but I was still very much inspired. Um, by them. So I was really excited to, to partner with them both. Amazing. Amazing to have them step in and lend their voices. I feel so, so grateful for that. Yeah. I feel so excited to try out some of these poems, reading them together, like choral reading them. That is cool. I didn't even think about reading poems that way before. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's so cool. The, the poem that Olivia writes about, um, about empathy Holy mm-hmm. cow. She has this line in mm. it that says, um, it said we could sim- if we could simply say the words, I understand, we can make mm. a secret club out of our sadness. And I nearly mm. cried right there reading that line. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes. The secret club. Mm. And then Liz. So good. Liz has that poem. The first one that I was like, oh, I need to read this again, was her poem, Say the Names. Where she just says, mm. after she's going through this, say the names of the leaders who came before, who made the world better. Say their names so that uttering letters might lend you courage. Mm. And then one, two, three, four, five, six times, seven times the phrase repeats. But she just says, say the name. Malcolm mm. X, Cesar Chavez, mm. Liliana Kalani. Mm. Just every time, say the name. And she's calling us to say, and not even at that point when, when, when she's listing these folks, she's saying, say the name. She's mm-hmm. affirming the individuality. I love, I just love, yeah. You, you, you got a great, got a great group of, of, of poets with you here, Mahogany. <laughs> I, um, listen, I, I'm quite I was lucky. I was lucky. I was lucky to know them. Okay. <laughs> by far, by uh, far, I'm aware that, like, goodness gracious, they, they, I look at them and I'm like, oh, these are the ones that save us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're gonna save us. Yeah, they're gonna like just their way of returning to um, the page, returning to their community, uh, using poem as uh, a processing uh, tool, uh, using it as a revolutionary tool, using it as a a community um stabilizer like there's nothing there's nothing like it and they do it so eloquently and so graciously 
um, that you can't you can't do anything but be in awe and then be thankful. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. You know, like I'm just grateful. I well, really am. Well, as one of your readers with a, a group of of other readers, ten um, year old readers who were so in awe of your work and of this book, of the design, the structure, mm. the way that you can flip to any poem. This book mm. defies you to read it cover to cover. It asks you to read <laughs> however you want, wherever yes. you want to do it. It's so powerful, so beautiful. I cannot wait to continue sharing these poems with others and inviting my students to breathe, breathe life into the poems as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Mahogany, I'm going to wrap up with you by asking you, by bringing you back to those children who mm-hmm. I don't get to see face to face right now, but I know mm-hmm. that this conversation will be waiting for them. So I'll ask you this way. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a mm-hmm. message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. Never forget, you are in the world. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.